Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Turn over to Luke chapter 10. This morning we're going to continue on in our journey with Jesus and see a very important question answered by Jesus. Um, And the question we'll see this morning is this. uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, last, the last message that we did in this, in this series, uh, last week we were blessed, Brother uh, Harold Noble was here and he preached uh, both AM and PM services, a great, great time there. But the last message that we were in this series, uh, we saw Jesus send out the 70 to do a specific work going before him and uh, they came back and they gave this great report uh, of, of the things that they were doing and things that God had blessed them to see and do. Uh, but the two things that we saw, and to refresh your mind of this, the first point was this. Eternal service should motivate us more than temporal service. Again, we saw that there's nothing in this world that we should devote ourselves to more than the eternal work of God. And we were challenged because uh, we saw that we can't expect God to honor our request if we're not faithfully honoring God's. Uh, if, we're not, if we are the children of God, if we are the people of God, and we aren't giving respect and honoring His commands, His requests for us to live in this world, then how in the world or why in the world would we think that we could turn to God and say, God, I need you to work at my job. I need you to work in my family. I need you to work in my life. If we are not, as his children, as his people, again, showing respect and and, uh, honoring his request, um, again, very important things. But the second thing that we saw was this, eternal blessings should stir us more than temporal blessings. And again, this is a challenge for all of us. This is a challenge that many of us face because we are inundated and especially here in America with so much stuff, with so many things, so many blessings. And, and there are blessings, and they're, 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 some of the things are cool, and some of the things are neat, and some of the things are, are great, the temporal things that we have in this world. Uh, but man, we should not be stirred. We should not be more excited about those temporal things than we are about the eternal blessings that lie ahead of us. Uh, we think about heaven. We think about God being in God's presence. We think about all the things, the rewards that are waiting for us in eternity. Again, those things should get us more pumped up than a new gadget or a a new uh, set of shoes or anything, a new car, a new house. The the things of God should stir us more than the the, the temporal things in this world. Again, the sad truth and sad reality is we all can get wrapped up. We can feel that pull of the world. Whether it's entertainment, and many people, that's, their, that's, that's the grip that, that uh, this world has on them. They have to go see those movies. They have to watch that TV. They have to have those things. They have to be involved in that sport. They have to have all the entertainment that this world can offer. Again, that's what has them. Some people, it's the jobs that they work. They're, they're workaholics, and that's all they want to do. That's all they think about is how to be better and how to, how to grow. And there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. There's nothing wrong with having goals and, 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 and being forward-minded and all those things in this world. But that is not to stir us. Those things shouldn't motivate us and stir us more than the things of God. Money is another thing that grips people, and most people. As a matter of fact, you've, you've heard me preach that before, that Jesus could have, compared, or, or could have put two things against, uh, anything against God. But he put money against God. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Matter of fact, in Scripture, he says the love of money is the root 
of all evil. The love, now, he didn't say the love of anything else, but the love of money. Not money itself, not stuff itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so again, there's a lot of people that are gripped with that in this world, and, and they're consumed with that, having more and getting more. Um, and again, you and I as the people of God shouldn't be stirred by these temporal blessings more. Uh, we can lose focus on this earth of this truth, that in a moment we can be taken from this temporal realm to the eternal realm, in just a moment. And so if we're pouring ourselves day in and day out in our jobs and, and getting and gaining and the, 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 the temporal blessings and, and the temporal stuff of this world is driving us and that's what our, our passion is all about in just a moment, we can leave this temporal realm and, and, and wake up in the eternal realm in the presence of God. And so again, if we were wise, if we, if we were to be good stewards and wise stewards of, of, of the truths of this life, we'd realize, man, I've only got a short amount of time because my life could end just like that. And so I need to be more motivated about the eternal work of God, serving God, reaching the lost, teaching other people, being the light in this world. I've got to be more motivated about that than I am making sure I make it to this ball game or making sure I watch this movie or making sure I get this stuff or making sure my kids have this or my kids do this. We should be more motivated to see our kids grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We should be more motivated to see the next generation trained up to serve the Lord in this world as it's getting worse and worse. Again, we should be more motivated, more focused, more stirred about the things of God. And I want to share this morning, our church, organizationally, visionally, is, is positioned, is, is positioned and focused to accomplish God's eternal plan. And I'm not saying that we're a perfect church and that we're hitting the nail on the head all over the place, but our church is positioned and focused on, on completing God's eternal plan for us on this earth. That's what we're, we're set up to do. Everything we do, everything we want to do is to advance the kingdom of God. That's, that's what we're about. That you, you, can, you can come into to meetings, you can, you, can, you can hear in conversations. That's what we want to do. We want to reach the lost. We want to accomplish God's plan while we have the time. That's what we're about. We're a praying church with a passion for God and a passion for people. And so we take our direction from God himself. Again, I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect man. We don't have perfect leaders. We, again, we don't have a perfect church, but we have a perfect Savior who has a perfect plan, and we are trying to follow that perfect plan. And so my desire as a pastor, our desire as the, as, as the church leaders here is this, that every single member will be 100% on board with this plan, will be 100% on board with this vision and say, you know what? We only have a short amount of time as a body of believers to finish God's work on this earth. And so we're on board. We're passionately on board. We want to reach, we want to do everything we can from welcoming people who may be lost entering these doors to going out in the community and giving the gospel to day to day inviting people and, and giving the gospel to people every day being the people God's called us to be. And so again, I hope that if you're a member of this church, that's where you're at. If not, hopefully you'll get on board. If you're a guest, if you're considering membership, by the way, we, we, we're going to be introducing a new member this morning. Uh, went through our new members class. Uh, praise the Lord. She was out last week. If you're considering praying about church membership, we'll begin another set of new members class, new membership classes. But in those classes, we talk about that. We talk about what we're about, what, why we do what we do, the vision we have. You get to know all about it and what it means to be a member of this church. And so, again, if you're here and you're considering praying about that, uh, it starts next month or next Sunday, I think. And uh, we hope that you'll, you'll pray about doing that. 
But I want to ask you to pray with me this morning. We're going to jump into this, this message this morning and uh, see what God has for us this morning. Father, thank you so much again for this time. Thank you for uh, just this reminder that we've already seen so far, uh, that the eternal things are the most important things. Help us as we live in this temporal world that, uh, that has such a pull on us. God, help us to stay focused on you. Help us to stay focused on your plan. Um, God, we, we have to give ourselves and we have to give so much thought and so much effort into our, our daily lives, our temporal jobs and temporal activities. This, the, the, the world we live in demands that. But God, I pray as we even do that, our overall objective mindset, our, our, the very root of, of everything we are would be focused on eternity. God, we would, we would see even, even in those efforts and the jobs, God, a, a, a divine purpose, a divine plan to try to reach the lost and encourage other Christians, even at our jobs, even at uh, ball games, aware of God. Lord, I, I just pray that you would just help us in these things. And I pray you'd also move this morning in this message. Lord, give us the things that we need. Give us the things that you know we need. And I ask that you would help us to be surrendered and submitted to your spirit as uh, this message is preached. And Lord, just use me as a vessel and be glorified through it all. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. This is, he, he tempted Jesus. And, and he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, it just said he tempted him. He was testing him. He was trying Jesus. He was trying to, try to catch Jesus in something wrong uh, already. So, but it, it seems like a simple question, a question that many people today still have. Maybe somebody in here. What do I need to do to make sure I have eternal life? What do I, what do I need to do to make sure that when I die in this world, that I will continue living in, in, in eternity, not being punished forever in hell? Again, very, very most important questions that we face in this life, uh, if not the most important question uh, that we face in this life. But he goes on and says this, and he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, what's written in the law? How readest thou? What do, what do you re look in the law? What's written in the law? What do you think? What do you think the law says about this? So the man says this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Every bit of my being, the, 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 the law says that I'm supposed to love the Lord God. Everything I have, my mind, my thoughts, my desires, my life, my body, everything, I'm supposed to love God that way. Now that kind of hopefully sheds a little different light on what people's idea of surrender to God is and what people's idea of discipleship is and what people's idea of salvation is because sometimes we think, and you've heard me say this before, it's about getting a golden ticket. Well, what do I need to pray? What do I need to say? Well, and again, that's what this man was doing. What, what's the secret formula? What do I got to do? And Jesus turns around and says, what, is the, what does the law say? He says, my whole being is to be consumed with Almighty God. That's what the law says. And so if we're considering what salvation is, what faith is, what true surrender is, that's what our lives should look like today. Our lives should look like an absolute consumed person with Almighty God. Our thoughts, our desires, our bodies, our, our efforts, everything we do should be consumed with Almighty God. That's what, that's what he says. And again, that's what faith does when we have absolute faith in Almighty God is this. He cons we're consumed with him. So again, we look back at last, last week's message, what happens? Well, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Our, our, our lives get pulled by this world, and the flesh pulls on us. Sin, the sin that we knew in our former life, the sin, it, it pulls on us still in, in our new life in Christ. And it, and it wants to pull us back into the bondage of sin again. 
But this lawyer answered, the Bible says that I'm supposed to love God, the Lord God, with everything. I'm to be consumed with God, with love for Him. And then he goes on. It says, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now that seems like a very simple statement, and we could brush over. Matter of fact, if we're just reading the Bible, most people would just brush over that. Love the Lord. That's beautiful. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. But that is very, very important. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Two very important points. They, 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 they are kind of interdependent. So again, this man is asking this all-consuming question from mankind. What do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have to do not to spend eternity in hell? What do I have to do to have eternal life, inherit eternal life? There's a song that many of you may be familiar with. Some of you uh, may not. Uh, some of you, many of you may not be familiar with, um, but it says this, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, and nobody wants to, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. Again, I, I think that's so true, because you'd have to be a fool to say, you know what, I'll take hell forever over heaven. You'd have to be a fool to say, you'd have to say, listen, if I'm weighing the two options, and I can live my life now. Let's say God told me I had 10 more years to live. I could live 10 more years however I want to live it on this earth. I could do whatever I want to do. But, but at the end of that life, I, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to spend eternity being tormented in complete darkness, in utter pain, where there's no relief, there's no hope. If someone gave me that deal versus saying, listen, surrender your life to the Lord. Live, live for God only. Have faith in Christ. And you may have to suffer some sacrifice. You may have to avoid the, the things in this world that are so alluring. You may have to resist sin, the things that really make your flesh feel good for just a short while and then they go away. You may have to do that, but guess what? At, at the end of it, you'll spend forever. Not, not just 10 years, not just 100 years, not 1,000 years, not even a million years, not even 100 million years, not even a billion years. For the rest of all existence, you will be in the presence of Almighty God and everything that He's created. Again, you'd have to be a fool to say, I'll take the first. I'll take 10, I'll, ten years, just 10 years, or well, let's just say 100 years. 100 years to do whatever I want to do, and I'll spend eternity. Eternity. Again, not 100, not 1,000, not a million, not a billion, not a trillion. Forever in hell. I'll, I'll take that deal over living for the Lord now in, in the short amount of time I have and spending eternity when there's no pain, no worry, no, no struggle, a perfect peace and comfort in the presence of Almighty God and all the saints of God. Again, you have to be a fool to take the first. But again, this lawyer, the Bible says, was trying to test and, and trap Jesus with this question. Jesus, knowing what, what he was, a lawyer, Knowing what his heart was, knowing the intent of why he was asking this question, he turns the question back around on the lawyer and he says, again, what does the law say? You tell me what the word says. Now, I want us to remember, this man was asking what he had to do. What do I have to do? That's important to understand because he was completely missing the fact that Jesus was here on this earth, standing in front of him, for him, doing what this man could never do himself. 
That this man, again, asking Jesus, God in the flesh, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he was staring the maker of life right in the eyes. He was looking at almighty God in the flesh, and he, and he was asking him what I have to do, not realizing that's what Jesus was doing. He was here to live the, a, a sinless life, to pay for the sins and that lawyer's sins, the, 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 the places where this lawyer was falling short in loving the Lord his God with all his soul, mind, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself, as, law, as well as everything else in the law. He's asking Jesus, what do I got to do? Jesus says, why, why was Jesus pointing back to the law? Why was Jesus asking this man, what does the law say? Very clearly, he was, he was pointing to this man's insufficiencies. He was pointing out, he was trying to get this man to understand that he couldn't do what the law said. He, he couldn't fulfill loving God with everything he had and loving his neighbor as himself. We're going to see that in just a second. And Jesus knew this, and so again, that's why he asked the man. And when this man answers exactly what the law says, realizing in his own heart, Jesus knowing that this man hasn't fulfilled the law, knowing this man couldn't love God like that, love his neighbor like that, he wasn't doing that, Jesus knew all those things, this man being convicted, even in this moment, Jesus answered and says, you said it right. You said it right. You, you love your Lord your God with everything you have, absolutely. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and if you'll do this, you'll live. So again, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, with, with this whole situation? Well, again, Jesus was implying and saying that this man wasn't doing it. And he had to do it. Point number one this morning is this. A right relationship with God is imperative to a right relationship with man. We're going to see why that's important in just a second. But you have to understand this. It's vital to understand there's no relationship with God apart from faith. Again, this man was staring at Jesus. Had he just simply said, I want you to tell me how I can have eternal life. I'm looking to you. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are God incarnate. You've come to save us from our sins. And, and when Jesus said, what does the law say? And, and the lawyer would have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But God, I can't do it. Jesus, I can't do that. And so that's why I'm turning to you. But he didn't. We're going to see what he did in just a second. But again, there's no relationship. That faith wasn't there for this lawyer. And for us today still, there's no relationship that we can have with God. There, there's nothing, that, there's no connection there without faith. Scripture says this in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified, in other words, declared righteous, innocent in God's sight, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Again, this, this is the only way anybody can have this connection, this, this, this relationship, a right relationship with God is through faith alone. And this man's confidence is what it was in what he could do. Only what he could do. Not what Christ came to do in his place. Not who Christ was. He was in what he could do. As a lawyer, he was thinking, I know what the Bible says and I'm doing it. I, I, I know what the law says and I'm doing it. I'm a lawyer. I interpret it. I, I enforce it. I, this, this is who I am. And again, he had already piously declared in his own heart 
in his own mind that he was loving God. And I think he was also believing in his heart that he loved his fellow man enough. That's why he challenges Jesus with this question that he asks. But many today struggle with this same mistake, thinking that they can do enough, that they can do what it takes to have heaven. They can, they can do enough good works, go to church enough, be enough good person, give enough, have the right things, experience the grace of God and the presence of God at the end of this life, standing there that many people think today, oh, I think I'll be okay. The scripture is clear on this. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, says that it's not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. There's nothing righteous we can do. There's nothing. Uh, the Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 6, 4, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing, as a matter of fact, in, in Romans chapter 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none of us, not me, not you, no one on this earth that can keep even a, a candle, a, get even close to the righteousness of God on our own. That's why we're justified by faith. That's why it's, it's our, Jesus is our only hope to have access. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's not of yourselves, it's not of works. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. So again, to have a relationship with God in, in, the, in the first place, a right relationship with God, we've got to have faith. We must admit our sinful condition. God, I realize there's none righteous. I realize that all have sinned. I realize that I can't love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength by myself. I realize that I can't love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to by myself. I realize without you, I fall so short of your great standard of holiness. Every single person has got to come to that place where they realize they're a sinner and admit their sinful condition in the presence of God. God, I'm sorry, and be repentant of it turn from it and as they turn they got to turn to him jesus christ god in the flesh and say you are the only sacrifice for my sin you are the only way and i trust you alone because jesus's death was the only death worthy his blood the only worthy blood his resurrection the only way for us to have eternal life he was the first fruits of the resurrection He's the only way. Then from a relationship with God by faith, we have to continue to walk in his ways. We've got to walk in fellowship, in right fellowship with him. And part of that is loving our neighbor. So to have a relationship with God, we've got to have faith. We've got to enter into that relationship with faith, by faith. We're justified by faith. But to have a continual right relationship, we've got to walk in the spirit obeying the law of the spirit the word of god we've got to live that life and the only way that we can do that is by god's help the holy spirit in us and part of that is loving our neighbor as ourselves as i said you, a, a good test is even in your own home so we, we would many times um say I, mean, I would lay down my life for those people in my home absolutely i think most of us would but do you always treat and say, talk, 
to the people in your home the way you want people to treat and talk to you? And you say, well, not all the time. That's the closest neighbor we have. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, to to have a right relationship with God, uh, it's imperative that we have a right relationship with man. Our capacity to love our neighbor, the way that we're supposed to love our neighbor, is limited before salvation. And again, that's what this man wasn't admitting. That's what he didn't want to admit to, to Jesus. And while many people are even guided by a sense of loyalty, many people are guided by a sense of heroism or devotion, uh, for example, there's a lot of good people that are in civil ser- uh, service jobs that, um, and, and even good people that are lost that would lay down their lives for their family, pers- uh, family member, uh, lay down uh, all kinds of stuff. But without the love of God in our hearts, we can't fully express the love that God intends for us to. Without God's love inside of us, we can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't do it the way that God wants us to do it. And the reason why, it's not, it's not just an emotional ne- level or even a practical level. As I said, maybe dying for someone or, or um, just saying I love you or, 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 or being kind to someone and, and expressing an emotional love or, or practical love, which love is an action word. But to, to have the kind of love that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, it also has to be a spiritual. There has to be a spiritual element to it. We have to be able to love on a spiritual level. Like praying for them, reaching to them. For example, you may have someone who doesn't have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're lost. So they don't have love for God and the love of God in them. But they do love their family member. They do, do love them very much. Again, they may even die in that family member's place if it came to it. But without God's love in them and a love for God the way they're supposed to, they wouldn't have a spiritual love or care or concern for that loved one to share Christ with them. See, when you, when you have the love of God inside of you and you have a, a family member that's lost, you know what one of the things that burdens you all the time with? A spiritual love, a spiritual burden for them to be saved. Without Christ, you don't have that. Before Christ, you don't have that spiritual level of, of love there. Beyond that, you, again, you have people who do acts of love. You show, show love in different ways. Even for people they don't know. As I said, maybe police officers, paramedics, firemen. But again, maybe it's because of the heroism or the commitment or the loyalty they have to their job or, or to their profession. Maybe another emotional or mental element there. But for someone to die, for someone to forgive, for someone to pray for someone who's done you wrong, in the, in the, in the worst way, it takes a love beyond human capacity. And that was demonstrated on the cross of our, of our Lord when he said, Father, forgive them, for they, not, they know not what they do. That kind of love is placed in the children of God when we enter into that relationship with him by faith. And it gives us the ability, the power to love beyond ourselves. Someone to, to, to pull your beard out, to spit on your face, to mock in your face, and to still turn around and say, forgive them. That's a love beyond any human capacity. 
And again, God gives us that kind of love. And that's why it's so disheartening whenever you look inside the body of Christ, even a church like ours, and there's, there's, there's people that don't talk to each other or treat each other in a, in a way that they would want to be talked to or treated. They're not expressing this love for their neighbor as themselves because, again, that's, that's, that's showing, it's demonstrating a, a surrender to the flesh, a, a, a going back to the old man, the old nature, giving in to sin, the, the, the bondage that we were delivered from. It should be seen first in, in our homes that the love of God is real inside of us. We should be loving our neighbors in, the, in our own homes first, as, as, as ourselves first. It should be so real that love should emanate from our homes. And then guess what? As the body of Christ, as the people of God in this local church, it should be seen and felt here second most. We should enter in these doors and the, and the things that we say to each other and the way that we say things and the way that we treat each other, it should be with love. It should not be with bitterness. It would not, not should be with resentment or unforgiveness. It, not should be with, it shouldn't be with any of those things. It should be with the love of God. And it should pour over into that community that's outside these walls. And they should see that those people have love unfeigned. You know what that means? Non-hypocritical love. Real love. They love their families. It's real there. They love their own church family. It's real there. And they walk out in this community and they share Christ because they love people. They love them as themselves. Because they have the love of God inside of them. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says this very clearly. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So again, when we are saved, you can't say, well, I can't love them like this because they did that to me. Listen, then you need to stop saying that you're a Christian. You need to stop saying that Jesus Christ forgive you because we're going to see in just a second. We, we, we can't claim to have Christ and not have his love inside of us. It's the same thing as saying I'm a Christian without his spirit inside of me. No, no, no. That's not true. We'll see that too. It's the people of God. God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit when he enters into us the moment of salvation. So again, even though this lawyer thought that he loved God, very piously thinking, ah, what do I got to Hey, I'm a lawyer. I know the law. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew his wicked heart, and he said, what do you think the Bible says? What do you think the law says? Love God with everything I have and love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, that's right. You said it right, so go and do it. Oh, well, uh, I can kind of see the lawyer getting, getting kind of his feathers ruffled and getting defensive here. In, in verse 29, it says this. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, oh, so Jesus is going to ask me a question, turn around and make me feel like I'm a sinner, make me feel bad. I'm going to turn around and ask him a question. And who is my neighbor? <laughs> who is my neighbor? I mean, look at all these people. Who, who is my neighbor? The person that lives next to me? Jesus, God in the flesh, all wise God, answered him said, and said, A certain man went to Jerusalem, to Jer from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed, on the, passed by on the other, other way. Here's a scenario. Man going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. Here he is. He gets, he gets robbed, stripped of his clothes, beaten half to death, 
lying there on the side of the road, and here comes the first person. The first person has to be a, happens to be a priest, a, a religious person, a person who, uh, it, 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 when society looks at them, thinks, oh man, they are the most religious person. And Jesus said, and this priest walked by, he, he, he went to the other side of the road and passed on his way. He's religious. He's wearing the right clothes. Probably find him in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which is not a problem. But I mean, that's, that's all the things he was doing externally seemed to be right. But when it came down to someone in need, he walks to the other side. Something's missing. Something's missing in there. Likewise, a Levite. And he was at his place. Another religious person came and looked on him. And that's a sad statement right there. Came and looked on him. Can you imagine? It just didn't walk by, pass by. It came and, and, and he, he saw him. He looked on him. Man, that's bad. Sorry about your luck, you know. And, 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 and walked on. That's a, that's a sad uh, manifestation there. Looked on him, passed by on the other side. And look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Something moved inside. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and, and pouring in oil and wine, and cleaned him all up, and set him on his own beast, his own mule there, and, and brought him to, the, to an inn, and took care of him there at, at the inn. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to the host of the inn and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, more than what I've given you, when I come again, I'll repay thee. And so Jesus asked the question, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And a lawyer couldn't answer any other way. He said very clearly, he that showed mercy on him. He that showed him mercy and compassion. He that showed him love. Who, who actually said, you know what? This person's in need. And it moves me, not just in my heart to say, oh man, that's bad. I'm sorry. And, and, and move on. It, 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 moves, it moved him to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. See, it's similar today. If we say that we have Christ in our hearts, if we say we have the love of God in our hearts, then we know that we were lost and doomed and damned and going to hell for all of eternity until Jesus came along and saved us from that sin state and saved us from that destruction. The day that we gave our life to the Lord, we said yes to Him, we gave our life to Him, He became the Lord and the Savior of our life. That day, His Spirit entered inside of us, His love was shed abroad in our hearts, and we should have, all of us should have, had a new compassion and a new love for people. To that person next to us who's lost. Who if they die today, they're going to spend eternity in a hell that will never end. To, to the person that, that's on these streets out here. To, 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 the, to the person maybe in this room. If we, have, if we have the love of God, then we should have a compassion that moves us to action. I've been forgiven. 
My sin's debt's been wiped free. I did not do anything to earn it. I, don't, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Nothing on my own. My only response to the love of God shed abroad on my heart should be to reach those still in need. Reach st- those that are still hurting, those that, that, that have been beaten up and bruised and battered by the, 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 the enemy, Satan, by this world. It should be my greatest passion and, and compassion in my life to, to go and bring them the, the ointment of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit. That should be what moves me in my life and what moves you in your life if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to reiterate, there was a bitterness, a deep-rooted bitterness, a, a, a racial and religious bitterness between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's because the Samaritans were crossbreeds and they had adopted some of the Jewish religion and had, had, had morphed it into their own religion. And so the Jews thought not only were they unclean as a people, but also completely false in their belief system. And so there was this deep-rooted hatred and bitterness between them. And I think it's so amazing that Jesus brings this Samaritan into the parable, breaking down any racial, breaking down any religious, breaking down any personal divisions, all in one story. See, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, all across this globe, we are all God's children if we're saved by grace through faith. Every single one of us. Same, it's, it, it, it's the same love, the same care, and it's given to us by the same Spirit. We have it for all. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, just like this lawyer said, the, the, the law says this. He says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, to show us that we all fall short, and it all points to Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by righteous works, not by good works. The law points us to the fact that we need Jesus Christ and him alone. But after, the, after faith has come, so after we're saved, after we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we're no longer under that schoolmaster. No longer do we have to say, uh, I have to get saved every day. I, I, you know, this, the law is pointed to my need for salvation because, again, we have already been brought to Christ. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, is what he says. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now look what he says in verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And there's nothing, there's no race, there's no religion, there, there, there's no, uh, not religion, there's no race, uh, there's no gender, there's no preference, there's no nothing in Jesus Christ. We're all one in him. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, Jew, Greek, n- nothing. In Christ, in Christ, we are all one. That's what he says. So again, Jesus in this parable was making it very clear, very clear, point number two, that a right relationship with man, with man is imperative to a right relationship with God. And that's paternally speaking. If we're going to have, as a Christian, as a child of God, if we're going to have a right relationship with God on a daily basis, it's imperative that we have a right relationship with our fellow man. It's imperative. If you say, I don't, I don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. It's not me you're disagreeing with. You don't believe the Bible. And you, if, if you say you're a Christian, I'm telling you, this is what the truth is. I'm going to see the scriptures to support it. But Jesus, if nothing else, Jesus' own words, love your Lord your God with all your whole, uh, whole self, 
And love your neighbor as yourself. Those should govern everything as a child of God. And once you have that relationship with God by faith in Christ, we are to have a right relationship with our neighbor, with our fellow man. See, this lawyer was convicted by Jesus' charge to do what the lawyer said was important to do, what the Bible says it was important to do. And the lawyer, again, inside, knew that he wasn't doing those things. He knew, he knew those. He was convicted. That's why he got defensive and he began to justify himself with that challenge to Jesus. And so Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, as he begins to tell this, broke down all of this man's and, and the whole world's mindset that you can be right with God and not right with your fellow man. Breaking it down. So, you, so I want to tell you this, this, this morning, if you are a child of God here and you know there's a relationship that's not right on this earth, that, that you have the power to make right. If you, again, somebody is not uh, forgiving you, somebody is, is, is sideways with, with you, across with you, but in your heart, in your own heart as a child of God, if you haven't made a relationship right with someone, you can have a right relationship with your Heavenly Father who loved you enough to die on the cross for you. So I don't like that. That's what the Word of God does. It, 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 it points to Jesus Christ. It points to something beyond ourself. This, the Samaritan had to move beyond any preference. This Samaritan had to move beyond maybe how Jews treated him before, what people thought about him at the moment. This Samaritan had to move beyond all those things, and because of his relationship with God, he saw somebody in need. And he expressed that compassion and love that had been shed abroad in his heart to that person in need. Again, there may be someone that's not right with you. But if you're a child of God, you have a love in you that's beyond you. It's beyond you. And you can love them. And you can be right with them in your heart. Even if they're not willing to do that in their own heart. Jesus said it himself on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, it's a sin not to forgive. And, and, and it becomes, whenever sin is in our life, Psalm 66 verse 18 the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If, if there is sin existing in our life that we know about and we allow it to go on, we can be guaranteed that there's a blockade in our relationship with God. When we try to, to, to ask him, God, I need your help, he's going to say, son, you need to repent of that sin first. You need to turn before, before we can have a, a right relationship because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He cannot have any fellowship with darkness. And so we, as his children, have been washed of all of our sins when we come to him and we're tainted with something we're holding on to. Unless we're willing to say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry for holding resentment against that person. I'm sorry for not forgiving them. God, I'm sorry. He's going to say, okay, my, my ears open now. But God, I need you to work at my job. Uh, I want you to make that right with that person. Well, I don't like that at all. Our paternal relationship, him as our Heavenly Father and us as his child, is hindered if we don't have 
all of our human relationships right within our own power. Again, there's people that's not going to like us, that's going to hate us and uh, hold bitterness and uh, resentment and unforgiveness against us. There's certain things in this life that we can't change and we can't do. We can't change someone's heart. But we can determine our heart and our relationship with other people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. He's talking to Christians. Let us love one another. Because love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Again, remember what we said a while ago, when we get saved, we get a love that's beyond ourselves, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. So when we love that way, it's evidence that we are a child of God. If you love somebody who's hurt you or wronged you or, or, or done something, if you have a love for them that you can't explain, that's a good sign that you have the Holy Spirit inside your heart. Because that, 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 that goes against human nature. For God is love. In this was the manifest of the love of God towards us. This is how God showed his love towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him, that we might have eternal life through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's a big word that simply means to, to be the payment, the satisfaction of our sins. Our sin had a debt that none of us could pay. And Jesus' death, his blood, was the satisfaction of all of our death. Amazing. That's an amazing act of love. That in one fell swoop, God can take care of the sins whole, all the sins of the whole world. And it was because of his love. He sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us so much that he would be the payment, his blood would be the payment for all of our sins, if God loved us that way and we are his children, we ought also to love one another. How, how simple is that? If God's love is in us and God showed his love to us in, in a way that we could never imagine, never explain, he sent his only son to die a death and pay a payment that we could never pay, to pay a debt we could never pay back. He says we ought to love one another then. If that's how God's love is demonstrated, we should love one another. Now man hath seen, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. Here's evidence that we are in God and he is in us because he's given us his spirit. Again, his spirit. Go in Galatians chapter 5, look at the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of them. Love. He goes on to verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, but he hateth his brother, he's a liar. Because he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And let's not be like the lawyer in our lives and say, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I do those things. And we know that we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We know we're not loving our brother as we should. Let's not play the pious lawyer to God. He knows our hearts just like he knew that lawyer's heart. He can look inside your heart and you can pretend and you can put on a facade. You can do all those things today in front of me, in front of anybody else. But in front of God, he sees right through it just like he saw right through that lawyer. He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen. How could he love God whom he's not seen? Oh, I love you, God. Do you love your neighbor? 
Yeah, I, I love him. I just don't like that guy. Do you love, do you love him? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. So as I said a while ago, a right relationship with God is imperative for the right relationship with man. I mean, you, you can't have a right relationship with God. It's a command. If you say, listen, I, I love God, then you have to love your brother. That's what it says. Here, here's the command. This command we have, have we from him, that he who loveth God is a command. If you love God, love your brother also. So to have a right relationship with God, we must have a right relationship with man. Now, too often people experience power, powerlessness, and they experience unrest. They experience the vulnerability to emotional and mental struggles that, that can threaten every single one of us. But too often people experience that, and it's because their relationship with God isn't right. And their relationship with God isn't right as a child of God because their relationship with a fellow brother, a fellow sister, or fellow man isn't right. And so from day to day, people walk in powerlessness. As a child of God, they walk in, in, in vulnerability, and, and, and there's these mental and emotional struggles, and they're all in their life. It's because they will not let go and love God and love their neighbor as they're supposed to. See, when we're out of fellowship with God, as you've heard it preached before and it's scriptural we step outside of that providential umbrella of god so it's not that god loses his providence not that he loses his control his sovereignty his his ability to protect he doesn't lose any of those things but when we're out of fellowship with him we willingly step outside of, of, of that protection because we've chosen to disregard our god in his will in his way and so doing we step outside of the shadow of his wings. The Bible in Psalms talks about that, and the shadow of the wings will, will I cleave. You know, and when we step out of that, we're kind of saying, you know what, I think I can handle this on my own. I'd rather go day to day not loving my brother or sister and dealing with what circumstances come myself than to make things right and be under the protection of my God. How foolish is that? foolish is that out there we become susceptible to the trappings of satan out there outside of the the shadow of god's wings the umbrella of his protection out there on our own we're susceptible to sin once again in our flesh that's what galatians chapter 5 clearly says in verse 13 for brethren you have been called unto liberty you've been called to to freedom you're you're free but you have to realize what kind of freedom that is he says, don't use that liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Again, he's talking to Christians who have already surrendered their life, who already are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength. But on a day-to-day -day basis, how that is manifested and lived out, how that is a reality is our love for our neighbor as ourselves. And then Paul warns and says this, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. If, if you're always talking and, and, and devouring and biting and, and, and tearing each other down as the people of God, if you're always doing that, you need to take heed. You're going to destroy yourselves. So he says this, 
So in light of all this, I say this, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because the flesh is warring against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. See, there's a battle still. And so it's foolish for us to try to do it on our own, do it away from God's Word, do it away from obedience to God's Word. The best path for the child of God is to submit to the Lord and say, I want to love my neighbor, I will, I choose to love my neighbor as myself. But in Galatians chapter 5, as we close, and Brother Sean, you can make your way. That section of Scripture goes on to list various fruits of the flesh. And you can look this up when you get home. You can, if you already got your Bibles there, you can kind of look at it as well. But there's various fruits of the flesh that include these things. And I want you to listen very carefully as we close. The list includes this. Two, first of all, sexual evils. Right off the bat, two sexual evils. The next two evils are religious evils, idolatry and such. The next two are alcohol-related evils. But listen to me. The next eight, eight are societal evils, relational evils. So he says these are, these are the works of the flesh. He lists two sexual, two religious, two alcohol-related. And then eight, dealing with relationships with each other. Wow. How important is that? See, if we can't love and appreciate, please listen. If we can't love and appreciate our God's greatest creation, each other. If we can't love and appreciate God's greatest creation, then how can we honestly and really say that we love and appreciate the Creator? If, if I say, oh, I do, I love God with all my heart, but we know that we're not loving another fellow man or, or, or woman the way we should? That's not sincere love. So I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe there's a relationship you know right now. You, maybe it's been preaching this. You know there's someone that you have harbored unforgiveness. There's bitterness. There's resentment. There's something in your heart. I'm telling you right now, your relationship with God is hindered. And until you get it right, you're going to be a miserable child of God walking on this earth. Because it's already miserable enough on this earth as a child of God with all the sin and darkness and junk all around us. You're going to be that much more because of something you're harboring in your heart. This morning is the morning to make it right. Today is the day to make that right. To let it go, to, to, to make things right. And I want to challenge you today. If you're here, and you back in the beginning of this sermon, if you're here and you're not quite sure that heaven's going to be your eternal home, and maybe you're one of those that's battling, so I really want to still live my life for me. I still want to do the things that I want to do, and I'm just not sure that there's, actually, there's a real heaven or there's a real hell. I'm just not sure if, if that's what happens after this life. Listen, I've had this conversation with many people before who, who've had that thought. And I said this. Well, let's say, if you're, let's say you're right. Let's say after we die, nothing happens. There's no heaven, there's no hell. And on this earth, for the however many long years you live, you do whatever you want to do. You don't have to live by any set of rules other than the laws of this land. You don't have to, you know, not avoid anything. You can just do whatever you want to do. Let's say after the end of that life, nothing happens. 
then you wouldn't have gained anything because there's nothing after death. You wouldn't have gained anything. You wouldn't have lost anything. But what if you're not right? And my belief in what Scripture says is right. And that is there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And after we leave this life, if you leave it without Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell forever, forever and ever. And I'm going to spend eternity in heaven forever and ever. Forever. Then I will have gained everything and you will have lost everything. I wouldn't want to play with those odds. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to do that and say, yeah, but you've got to live your life by these rules and, and, and you don't get to have any fun. I, I would disagree with you with all of my heart. I have so much fun in this life. I, I, I have so much joy. I, I love, I have friends. I have, I have people that I'm close. I, I mean, this, this room here, I mean, that's wrong. That's a lie that Satan is telling you that you don't get to have any fun, that you don't get to live your life for you. It's a lie that Satan's trying to keep you in darkness so that you don't come to the light. If you'll just, if you'll surrender your life today, I promise you this, you'll be more free, you'll have more joy, you'll experience everything that God wants his children to experience on this earth. And I'm not saying that it will be without trial, without problems. I'm not saying that you won't go through difficulties and struggles because we could spend all day long going around this room with Christians in here saying, Listen, I deal with this, I struggle with that, I have a hard time with this, my health this, my health that, my job this, my job that, this hurt, this hurt, this struggle. We'd go around all day long, but I promise you this, every single true child of God in this room that said that we've got those struggles, we would say, you know what? But I would never trade my relationship with Jesus Christ for anything else. I, I would never. And so if you're here this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I'm begging you, don't leave this place. Until you, you come down here, we're going to have two ministers, or you grab me, you grab somebody else and say, please, I, I want to go to heaven when I die, what do I got to do? I, I, want, I want that. I don't want to leave this life and, and, and chance going to hell. Make it right today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your, your word, God. Thank you so much for this journey we're able to take in Scripture with you as you walk this earth. Lord, as we saw this story this morning of you encountering this lawyer, Lord, it teaches us so much. It shows us so much that you are the only way. And, and, and you came into your own, and your own received you not. Lord, you're right in their face, and they didn't realize that salvation had come. And Lord, today for us, we, we realize you have come. You've paid the price. You're, you were the payment for all of our sins, and that you are the only way for us to have eternal life. And I pray again, if there's someone here this morning that's not accepted your free gift of eternal life, God, they'll come. And they'll accept it this morning. They'll leave this place a different person, freed from sin, freed from the penalty of sin, freed from destruction. Lord, and they'll leave with joy and assurance that they're going to spend eternity with you forever. Lord, help us as your people who are already saved, Lord, have already given you our lives. Help us to love you the way we're supposed to. Help us to love our fellow man. If there's something, a relationship that's not right in any of our lives, as your children. I pray, I pray that it be made right this morning before we leave this place, before it's too late. And we'll praise you for what you do, Lord. We ask you to move now. In Jesus' name, amen.